the mysteries of Gravity Falls creep into the non-animated world, this is the Gravity Bros Podcast. I am Alec Hester, and I am joined by my brother Lucas. Who else? What's up, man? What's up, dude? How's it going this fine morning? Uh, it's going great, man. I have good news. Ooh. I've, yeah, I've decided that we're gonna do things a little bit differently for the show, not just the show structure, but like everything in HBCT. We're just gonna do whatever we want. No more schedule. Oh. oh. Um, let's just, I, but, but I, what I do want is just a time where we can like sit together and talk about whatever is on our mind. Okay. You feel it, me? Is this like a bit? <laughs> do you think it's a bit? <laughs> I feel like this is a bit. But yeah, let's do it. We'll sit. We'll sit and we'll talk about what's on our mind. So <laughs> I I learned some things about leadership. You know, uh, I read some great books. Yeah. Uh, they, they sort of pointed me in the direction of just being more inspirational. You know, we don't need to lay the hammer down. We should throw the hammer away. We've just got to completely reinvent the way that we think in our lives and our work. And then uh, roses and daisies and um, puppies. I invest in a personalized hammer for every single employee that I have, just to make sure that they know that they're not special. Well, sorry, man, this is Silicon Valley, and we do things a little bit differently. Wow. <laughs> this is Hester Bros. Cartoon Theater, Alec, and you don't get paid. Lucas, I have a legitimate question. Yeah. Are you a good boss? Um, I think that really depends on your perspective as an employee. <laughs> Well, I, and I don't know how much experience you have in leadership or being a boss or anything like that. Um, Unfortunately, I have a lot of experience, and I wish I didn't, because I, 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 dis, I dislike being a leader, is, is my answer to that. Am I good at it? I don't know. I made it work when I had to do it, but I really don't like doing it. <laughs> Interesting. I feel the same way. I hate being it. Well, I hate being a boss. There's things I like about being a leader, depending on the context, right? I enjoy yeah. spearheading projects, like doing something like this. Yeah, that's different because we're like co-leaders, and but we it's followers I don't like. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm really good when things are going great, when the when things are flowing and um, we have little to worry about. I feel like I am helping things thrive, but. When the time comes that I need to be a Grunkle Stan, I don't really have the gear. So I decided I hate any type of management, and I was never going to follow that career course. When my I, my actual and all of a sudden we're getting deep for a second, but I almost did follow the trajectory to try to move into higher management and things like that. Uh, mm -hmm. And I decided it just wasn't for me because a I never wanted to be in a position where I had to fire people. Um, but b it was just a weakness of mine to have to make the hard decisions when they needed to be made. And I couldn't be straight with people. Oh, I don't think I'd have a problem with that. I think that'd be, that'd be easy for me. I think my problem is more so, I think I give people a little bit too much credit and leeway. You know? I do that too. Yeah. Because I think, I think usually if you're going to have an employee or a worker, you, at the end of the day, you probably need to tell them what to do. Cause that's what people in our society are kind of conditioned to expect out of a lot of workplace conditions, at least in anyone that I've been a leader, because keep in mind, my leadership positions have been like, you know, at a college for college students, or, you know, like a cleaning services thing, or like working at a hotel, you know, 
Yeah. So in all in all of these cases, people are kind of conditioned to be passive employees. You know, no one really cares about their work. You know what I mean? And I get it because to some degree, it's a lot easier to just be told what to do and do it. You know, I enjoy yeah. being a worker like that to some degree. Yeah, I don't like being a leader in a workplace like that, though. I like having I like people with agency. You know, I would rather be able to be like, "Cool, you're the manager of this thing. You know what you're doing. Go do what you know how to do." You know, <laughs> and I wish I could trust that person to do that thing. That's why I don't like being a leader. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I'm going down this rabbit hole because this episode that we watched this week for Gravity Falls, Boss Mabel, episode 13, it mm-hmm. did make me think a lot about what actually makes a good boss, who was right in this equation a little bit, because I, I don't know if the, it's actually clearly answered in the end, if Mabel or Grunkle Stan's style is better, or if it really is that both are good in some cases, but not always. You know, I, it's, I don't know. It's, it's funny that you say that, because the first thought that I had when I saw the title of this episode, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. It's the classic, like, oh, I could do this better than you, you know, like, life swap story. And, you know, I really hate tropes like that in general. I think it's easy, but it didn't, A, it didn't exactly do that because it's not like Grunkle Stan was trying to take Mabel's place in her life and she was claiming that her life was harder. That's like kind of the traditional trope. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, the bet was that <laughs> he could make more money on vacation than she could working. Um, which is pretty hysterical, honestly. <laughs> Great premise. It's a very funny bet. Yeah. Um, I think... You know, we'll get to what what our thoughts are. I kind of think Grunkle stands right, actually. <laughs> I almost think that the show is trying to point us more in that direction, too, and I have mixed feelings about it. So, let's recap it. Okay. Um, so, we, we start with the cold open of this episode. We get another show in the Gravity Falls universe. They love to introduce shows that exist. But this one has more implications than the other random ones that we've been introduced to. It is called Cash Wheel which is a total Wheel of Fortune knockoff, intentionally. Yeah, and <laughs> I the sponsor for it was really funny. It was like, the chip-flavored cracker! And Mabel's literally eating one. It's like, wow, it does taste like a chip! <laughs> was, it's such a good joke, because it's such a generic product thing that exists. I love that kind of, like, I don't know, it's such a... It's kind of a pointed joke on capitalism, but it's so sweet. And, like, wholesome that you wouldn't notice that that's the commentary, you know? Good catch, yes. Um, <laughs> speaking of capitalism, we get a busload of tourists, and Stan is ready to make some money off them. <laughs> he yeah, says, he just starts marking up every. He's like, mark up everything. When there's, like, a, I think it's snow globes. There's a dollar for snow globes. And he goes, go higher. And she puts a zero next to it, so it's ten. And I was like, wow, that is a, that is a steep curve. And he goes, higher. And she puts another zero next to it and makes it a hundred. I was like, oh, my God. That is awful. And it actually, in marketing psychology, there is truth to that. For real. Yeah, well, and I think, isn't it Mabel who's like, these aren't people walking with legs. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And like, while it's walking, they literally... wallets with legs. No, no, yeah, it's they... Dipper. He's like, do you just see these people as like wallets with legs? And then he has the actual hallucination of people walking around as wallets with eyeballs. And it looks like something out of like a McDonald's cartoon almost, dude. It looks... It's really, really funny. I love when they do stuff like that because it's exaggerating what the show is even to another level. 
Yeah. Uh, well, okay, and one thing that that is already apparent is that we are satirizing how greedy Grunkle Stan is, and that's obviously not supposed to be considered a good thing, right? Sure, that is true. Even though I would argue that his behavior is mostly glorified, I love it. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're right, it is. <laughs> Sorry. I'm the kind of person who'd like that, too. <laughs> Well, because it's just so freaking funny, right? It is. <laughs> you don't sit here hating Grunkle Stan because he's like this. You love him because he's like this, because he is a character, and we are here for entertainment. And uh, like they say later in the show, oh, this man is horrible. Put him on TV. Yeah, that was one of my favorite quotes of the episode, too. <laughs> yeah, I know that I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but there was actually a lot of fun stuff going on There here. was, dude. And the fun I had was not necessarily linear, so I guess we no, might bounce around a little. Well, and, and like I said, this this plot line is pretty straightforward, you know? It was like, even though it didn't follow the exact trope that you'd expect, it still did the thing that you'd expect. Grunkle Stan goes on vacation, which we'll, I think we'll talk more about that one, because that one's pretty funny. But uh, Mabel and Dipper and, you know, tri- Mabel tries to be the boss of the Mystery Shack. After this cold open, the whole deal is that she's going to try to make, as I said, more money than Grunkle will on vacation. And, you know, you can imagine what happens. Like, Wendy... Can you imagine... Like, Wendy's already a terrible employee. Can you imagine Mabel trying to enforce Wendy if you haven't already seen this episode? Like, you just... It's a mess. You know it's a mess. The funny one that I thought would actually have worked out was Seuss wanted to be the mystery chat question mark guy questiony the question mark yeah que- the name is questiony yes he wanted to be a mascot and it was so funny because i actually didn't remember what happened in this episode when i watched it so i was like that's a great idea why didn't we have seuss be the mascot questiony the question mark and it's funny because when he wore the suit it made sense to me like oh my god of course that's what the suit would look like what? Because obviously the question mark dot covers his crotch, and then it's just the question, the thin question mark, barely covering the rest of him. So he's like practically naked. And I just didn't think about it, but of course that's what would happen. It was so funny. And then he's like, uh, Mabel, I'm really, I'm really second guessing this. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this question mark. <laughs> this is so funny, dude. You're right, that was such a clever gag. (laughs) And you're right, it plays with your expectations a little bit, because it seems like a great idea. Yeah, Um, and and I thought the same thing about Dipper, too. She sends Dipper to go get a real, you know, attraction for the Mystery Shack, like a real creation. And I'm like, that's a great idea. You should absolutely play into Gripper... uh, You should... Grippers? (laughs) You should play into Dipper's uh, strengths and play into all of the characters' strengths, other than Wendy, who clearly doesn't have any, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sure. Well, and and let me set up the reason that we get here in the first place, right? Which is the staff at the Mystery Shack is questioning a lot of Grunkle Stan's decisions, mostly because they're irritated with how he's treating them, but also because they have their own ideas that they feel like are maybe not being heard. You know, we get a great moment where there's a penny machine, a a child puts it in, and then it just spits out, thanks for the penny. And he just sadly walks away. And that immediately paints the picture for the frustration that we are about to see from the staff. You know, I actually overthought that joke significantly, and it actually doesn't make any sense. You want to know why? The joke doesn't make... Because the penny machine, you're supposed to put in two quarters to get a special penny, right? And that's what makes it a ripoff. 
because you're giving them two quarters. But if he's giving a piece of paper for every penny, he's actually probably at a net loss. Whoa, that's really interesting. It's a right? better business model to have a true penny machine that gives you two quarters. Yeah, or that they, they pay two quarters for a penny that just gets warped. Wow. See, I don't believe that a small piece of paper is worth a cent, but no, but I still like, think that it's a poor business model. Yeah, but all you're getting is a penny, you know? So I feel like the amount that you're investing in paper is not worth the amount that you'll be getting in... Because how many people are realistically going to use that thing? Well, the town of Gravity Falls is a special breed of people, as That's we are about point. to find out. He probably also got the paper for free through for some nefarious purpose. So you know what? I'm definitely giving too much credit. Sure. Um. So we get from this scene, Stan is walking the tourists around. You know, we get... A horse riding another horse. And that's that's like a thing. Uh, we see Dipper dressed as a preteen wolf boy. Uh, and Stan, Stan's like, if you throw money at him, he dances. And Dipper like just cries and dances or something. It's so sad. He literally cries and they start throwing stuff. Th- people threw quarters at him too. And I'm just like, <laughs> that was actually pretty mean. Yeah, no, very much so. Uh, whether he's a wolf boy or just, you know, a boy. Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, especially if he's a wolf boy. Yeah, that's true, because then you're like, oh, take this freak, and that's bad, but... Yeah, right, wait, are you saying... at him, and he dances. True, are you saying that's okay if it's a child? <laughs> I mean, it's not as bad, because at least, oh. I mean... I, and look at Dipper, Dipper's fine. Which is fair. He clearly has had no traumatic experiences throughout this whole show. Also, there is a questionable dither, Dipper uh, death count in this episode that I want to bring up later. Kill count, because, you mean? Yeah. Because if you remember, Dipper does find a actual creature. D- M- Mabel sends him to find an actual creature, and the reason it doesn't work out is because he finds, uh, what was it called? A Glemwin Goblin? The Grem Goblin. The Grem Goblin. So... <laughs> so the Grem Goblin, uh, if you look into its eyes, you see your worst nightmare, essentially, right? Dipper brings it to the thing to show people, and at first they don't even think it's real. So so the joke at first is like, oh, Dipper's going to bring a, a, a real thing and everyone's still going to want to see the fake stuff because that's more entertaining. Which is pretty funny, and I think that that's all they needed to make that joke work and to make it under make, have us understand why Dipper's thing why Mabel having Dipper do that thing doesn't work for the Mystery Shack, even though it makes like makes sense that it would. But then the people that he was going to show it to, he's like, oh, look deep into its eyes. You'll see your worst nightmare. That'll prove to them that it's real. And then they do, and it literally makes them catatonic. And he actually calls an ambulance, and they have to go to the hospital. It's very dark, actually, in that and- moment. Like, sure, are they technically living in when they leave? Sure, but we don't know what happens to them. What if they're like that for the rest of their lives? Oh, I see what you're saying. No, we can't count that. It's not an on-screen death. But I appreciate your, I don't know, man. your thinking I don't about know. the possibility. I- I'm saying it's a questionable on-screen death. Because if their consciousness was robbed of them for the rest of their lives, which, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe there's more insights in the journal. Yeah, well, there are a little bit of insights in the journal, but uh, we'll get to that later. Um, It is interesting, right? Because Dipper's point is good, which he makes in the beginning of the episode, which is like, we have all these real things in this town, so why would we lie to people? And that sort of answers the question a little bit. You know, to some degree, the stuff that's fake is 
not as dangerous, first of all. But also, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. those tourists in that case, they were interested in the other stuff that was going on. It wasn't even their first priority to take a look at what seemed to be a real creature. Which yeah. Which be realistic, but this is Gravity Falls. Well, it's like, I think most, I think the thing, the thing that's true about it is most people have more of like a touristy capitalist perspective when they go to things like that. They're not like really like dipper, like passionate about metaphysics. They're there to buy a Bigfoot t-shirt, you know? They're there to be like, ah, Bigfoot's running around Oregon. That's so cute. Let's take a picture of the Bigfoot statue. No one's actually there to see Bigfoot, you know? I mean, it's not that people wouldn't be there. Like, I feel like that would be a frightening thing, perhaps. And also questionably ethical. What, having, like, actually having a... Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was also a funny joke. Because mabel ends up letting the thing go because she thought it needed a break because she's like you can't I mean she you're right it's messed up you can't have it as a slave you can't just keep it there as a sideshow so she gave it a break that's a very good thing to do i agree with mabel on that call yeah well okay so let's talk mabel as a boss we already talked about the fact that grunkle stan goes on vacation mabel goes through with being the boss for a few days yeah we covered um, the other three characters antics through the episode pretty much yeah um it's interesting what Mabel's philosophy is, but right? Because Stan had said that being a boss is about commanding respect because people will walk all over you if you don't. I believe um, that. Yeah, but I mean, Mabel thinks that people respond better when you're nicer to them, which I think is also true. But I yeah. think that, there, you know, it requires a little bit of um, sternness as well, if you will. Yeah, well, I mean, like, you know, May. I think the thing that Mabel wouldn't have under. I think people like Wendy are the people that push people like Mabel because people like Mabel, you know, do want to give somebody the day off because they do want to believe that they actually need that day off for some reason. But the thing is, there's lots of people that don't need that day off and they're just taking it because they know you'll give it to them, you know? Yeah. And that and... was always the hardest thing for me as a leader, too, was. You know, people taking advantage of me being cool about certain things because, you know, they, they did not care about whether I did it or not. They were just like, oh, sweet. Okay, free day. Whatever. See, that's when I'm a bad leader. Because that's when I'm like, all right, those people are the people I'm going to make work extra hard just to be an asshole. I mean, to be honest, sometimes that might be an okay way to handle it. I Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I wouldn't ask me. I Maybe I wouldn't. No, I mean, um, you're a great worker, though. Yeah, well, I mean, that's I for sure. That... I prefer that. I prefer being told what to do as opposed to being the one telling others what to do. Um, and it's boded very well for me. Because um, yeah. people forget that you don't have to be in a management leader position to be, like, in a good, happy job. In fact, it's probably the opposite. I'd say that you, that type of job puts more stress on you. Well, and I think different jobs require different kinds of leaders. You know, you made a joke at the beginning of this episode about having a textbooks on leadership. I actually have like three textbooks on leadership because I got my master's in arts leadership. And, um, you know, leadership is something that actually is some, it's different for every individual. It's different for every job and it's different for every group of people that you're leading, you know, and, and it, that all requires different context. So it's fun to have an episode like this where it's like, oh, you know, maybe we should be more like this and both and or whatever. But in all honesty, it's all completely relative. Like if you're working with a bunch of gruff construction dudes, you're going to have a completely different leader style than if you're working with like middle schoolers at a volunteer shift. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, that's an excellent point. You're, you're right that 
leadership styles are different. People respond differently. Every workplace setting is a little bit different. So it's hard to have any kind of like explicit model to say this is the right way to handle it 100% of the time. Like the best advice is probably be adaptable more than anything else. Yeah, that is exactly the best advice is try to have an adaptable leadership strategy. That is literally the best advice that I got from all of that. I, I totally agree with you. And, or just recognize your strengths and weaknesses and try to placate to what you're good at. You know, find things that you can be the kind of leader that you're good at being. Because everyone's good at something, you know? Yeah. Well, and frankly, I think that Grunkle Stan and Mabel both fail at this. Because I think yeah. this is an instance where Grunkle Stan probably should have been a little bit more adaptable. At least mm-hmm. in making his vision more clear to his employees. Instead of just saying, my way or the highway, it turns out he was right about some of these things. But it wasn't clearly stated or kind enough to make those employees feel valued or understood like there was an actual reason behind the nose that they were getting. See, but then there's another thing to that. Because I'm somebody that loves to explain reasons to people. And when I was a leader in the college, I explained things a lot. And you want to know how many people listened to, remembered, or gave a crap about my explanation? Maybe like 1-2%, maybe. So it's not worth it. You know, you, you just get fed up and you're like, why would I explain this to you when you're just going to be an idiot and not listen to me anyway? I'm just going to tell you what to do and you'll do it. So that's all I need to do. It's very easy to develop that mentality when you have workers like Wendy. <laughs> That's a really good point. And sometimes I feel like an overneed to explain things if I feel like I need to give somebody news that they don't want to hear. And it might, sometimes I honestly think that it maybe even comes across as a bit patronizing. Like you're trying to, I guess it depends on the delivery a little bit. But, you know, when Mabel is somebody who could, I think, try to deliver that message, it could more come across that way. Um, Or even Grunkle Stan to some degree. It's interesting. Like, I, Both of their characters are good at a lot of things, but I feel like being the perfect boss is just not it. Let me ask you something, Alec. What would you have said to Seuss? You don't have the body type for this? You can't say that. Right? Hmm. Um, You know know marketing-wise, it's not a good idea. You know that having someone standing, that's probably actually bad for your business, even if they want to do it. What would you say to him? uh, I would ask uh, Seuss to rework the concept. Because I think it's a good idea in theory, yeah. but it's going to be too revealing the way that you have it, regardless of body type or anything else. I think that's, that's the what big I problem, right? That's what I... Well, I mean, if it was a bodybuilder, you could do it, though. Because then you've got the sex appeal bullet be it. I'm just saying marketing. Like, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying it is what it is. You've got a good point. I think that people <laughs> would be more likely to try it in those cases. Yeah. Um, it would pass. <laughs> that's why I think it's safer to lean away from those things in general. I agree. Uh, yeah, just, just, you know, uh, the Mystery Shack, I guess, does he try, does Stan try to keep it family friendly, do you think? I think no. it's supposed, it's kind of supposed That's to be for point. everybody though, right? Like he That's wants kids, well, he wants parents to spend money to bring their kids as well. I think it's supposed to be like, I don't know. I think it's supposed to pass as family friendly, but I don't know if it is, you know? Sure. So let's talk a little bit about Mabel's strategy here. Because she walks in as a boss, um, she's got her ideas, her her first strategy, have really big shoulders, which is so funny. Yeah. Big shoulders, hey man, that's how it works on it, that's what you gotta do when you see a bear. Customers are like bears, I guess. Yep. And, and, (laughs) that's right, she's got a mug that says, number two boss. Why? Because the real number one is you. Okay, I'm not gonna lie, I kinda love that, that's actually a really good philosophy. You know, the the thing that I like about this is, like, 
I see actually good philosophies and bad philosophies from both of them. And in ways that I don't think the show even like fully like demonstrates, because that's a joke, but that's a good philosophy to have as a boss. Like actually, you know, like my employees become before me, the people that like, I would, I would personally step up and take an overtime shift over the people beneath me. You know, if you're the kind of person to do that, people will love you as a boss, you know? Yeah. So this is interesting because I alluded to this in the beginning, but I feel like the show didn't do a great job. Well, I don't even know if I blame the show, but I think that Mabel had some good instincts, but she got like buried by the story, right? By the writers. They were like, no, this is all crap. This is all psychological bullshit. Well, and the thing that, the thing that's not fair to me about that too, is that like, she's 12. (laughs) You know, like, of course, any employee is going to treat this like dress up, you know? Like, anybody would treat this like a day off. If I was Wendy, dude, I would be like, this is not a real day of work. 100%, I would not. Would you? Come on. No, well, Lucas, when I was 12, I feel like uh, our cousin Zach would have been like 9 or 10, and him and I came up with an idea to have a restaurant in the kitchen of our house, right? We called it the Blue Penguin. We were so happy. And we fancied ourselves as genuine chefs. You know, running a real business is how we thought about it. So I think the point that Mabel is 12 is a really good one because we don't think about it because she's a very, like, electric character who's amazing on screen. But her character is 12 years old and these are still kids at a summer camp. So it makes sense that she would react this way. And she's again, gets the right ideas, but just doesn't understand how to execute them. It's... It's, I almost wish that it had, like, the moral had pointed out a little bit that's like, oh, it is good to try to, you know, value your employees. Like, this is good. Yeah. It's just you also need to be able to uh, be assertive in the right moments. And if I could say, even at the moment where she completely loses her cool and goes full Grunkle Stan, I don't necessarily think that sends the right lesson either. Because all it shows is that she got fed up, exploded, and yes, people listened to her, but she still didn't lead in her own way. If anything, no, she didn't. it just illuminated that she's just not a good boss, and that's okay. Yeah, well, and, or, I don't know, I think, see, that's the thing, in my opinion, from the research that I've done, the real moral that they're not saying is just that Mabel's not a good boss for the mystery shack, you know? That's what I mean, yeah. And the thing is... Yeah, they do kind of make it seem like she's not a good boss and not ready for this. And granted, she's 12. She's not. But like, (laughs) you know, I still don't think that that's a fair moral to draw because they definitely animate her as somebody competent enough to probably lead like that in a different capacity, you know? Sure. I can see instances in the show, and maybe we'll even get them later, where she is able to lead in different circumstances that uh, benefit her skill set more. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that the thing that that people don't recognize. I think the thing that's fair to say is that people need to respect those who are leading really complex businesses and stuff, because there's a lot that goes on that they work on that you don't know about that really stresses them out. I'm talking as a business owner myself who runs a social digital marketing agency. Like sometimes I might seem a little pissed one day. It's probably because of some craziness that happened at work that I could not even begin to explain because it's so complicated. (laughs) 
And dude, even running a YouTube channel and a podcast, you know, and trying to build this Hester Brothers cartoon theater thing, yeah. it also takes a certain level leader uh, level of leadership. And you and I have to be like on the same wavelength doing that together. And that can be stressful and frustrating too, even though it's something that we really enjoy doing. Well, and you and I take turns leading in different ways because, you know, I do social media and I have to lead in that regard. You <laughs> take charge of a lot of the schedule and lead in terms of organization. So like, you know, I mean, linear or leadership is not a linear thing. And I think a lot of people think also that like they need to be like Grunkle, that the quote unquote Grunkle stand style where it's like, you know, you're bossing people around and yelling at them to get things done for you. And the thing is, a lot of the time, like you're, you know, if you're a good boss, you realize that other people, you're learning from other people as much as you're teaching them. You know what I mean? And like, you know, they're leaders for you just in a different way. Yeah, you know no, that's I mean? a good point. It's a good, it's a good philosophy to have to think of yourself as a beginner and a student in all concepts of life, you know? Something that I think is really funny about this, if we're going to start leaning into the mistakes that Mabel is making, which I should be very clear are everywhere. Um, it is hilarious to me that she's reading a 1983 psychology book to try to come up with all of her ideas just because, yeah. so Lucas and I have social science degrees, right? I've got one in sociology. You've got one in philosophy. And yeah. I'd say that the social science departments like to make fun of each other for different things. So oh, yeah. I'm not trying to rag on psychology majors because they would have plenty to say about me as a sociology guy. But something that's a very funny stereotype to me is that psychology people are, oh, I can read people. I'm so intuitive. Oh, and I can <laughs> diagnose anybody just by talking to them. I could totally, I've met people like that. Dude, if you're someone like that, go home. Stop. <laughs> really, <laughs> the DSM is stupid. Just for, get over yourself. Get over, Freud is one of the worst readings I've literally ever had in college. Ever. Yeah, well, Freud was rough. I mean, nonsensical uh, bullshit I've ever read in my life. I can't believe well, we found it an entire... Sorry. <laughs> but but to, to be fair, the psychology department knows this too. Like, yeah, they do. Well, it is very, <laughs> it's very aware that his stuff is outdated at this point, but it's also like a basis for a lot of where psychology came from. And, you know, same thing with founders of sociology. Anyway, I, I'm going to lose people if I get into the weeds of different sociologists. I'm looking at you, Pierre Bordeaux. Um, ha! But <laughs> I like Bordeaux. I love Bordeaux. Um, <laughs> I'm also a fan of Durkheim. Anyway... I like Durkheim too. I wrote a whole paper with Durkheim and uh, and um, talking about deviance. Sure, Karl Marx is where you get complicated because his oh, place as a sorry. sociology person versus a lot of his other stuff is like kind of different. So yeah, because anyway. I read him in philosophy. Oh yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that like two percent of our audience. How many of you guys even have college degrees? Like, I mean, I'm probably like at least a decent margin or oh. on their way to one. Um, I don't know. Or but, interested? I don't know. Do philosophy, people. Please think about things. I swear it, it helps. I swear we need it. I promise. It's helped if me. This sound, if this sounds interesting to you, maybe uh, the social science degrees are where your uh, passions are at. Who knows? And if it doesn't, maybe you're probably like the rest of the world. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let's talk about the Grem Goblin for a second. Um, yeah, that was a sick design. Yes, dude, that's exactly what I was going to say. Fantastic design for a creature. I feel like it's underrated. You know, we talked about power ranking these creatures later, like at the very end. And I feel like this one might creep up and be higher than expected. Just because we... Can I just say? It, yeah. I think this is actually the second best designed creature behind the uh, the Summerween trickster so far in the series. 
okay, I actually think that's a pretty good take. Because uh, I don't know what would top it. The, the thing that's weird to me about the Grem Goblin, it doesn't feel like the focal point of the episode. It feels like one part to Mabel's overarching story, and yet pops a lot. Very fun to watch. I wrote a lot about it because, hey, I was fascinated if this counts towards Dipper's kill count. D- is he responsible for the damage of this of this goblin? Um, I say no I- for those people. I, I say maybe. I, I, I'm not going to say yes, but there's a question mark. To me, there's a chance that Dipper is responsible for the, like, effective deaths of two people. It's possible. So, like, like a, a two with a question mark. We'll add plus two question mark at the end of whatever the count is for me. Two with a questiony. Yeah, because we don't know if he's actually, if they actually recovered, you know, because people recover from trauma sometimes. Maybe that's sure. all it was. But their eyes were yellow, and I'm like, what's the ant? What are they gonna do at the hospital for that? You know? Yeah. Well, and also this thing spits out human bones, which is probably another red flag, right? Were they human bones? That was my impression. It looks like a human arm. That's a good point. I didn't think. I about mean, it. I could be wrong. I I, <laughs> I caught it very quickly, but <laughs> I, I thought it was animated to look human. Oh, but I, yeah. I believe they do that. That's pretty funny. So Dipper may not have known this yet. I will say this though. It even grows wings that flies at one point. I know. And the Grem Goblin is in Journal 3, as written by the author. So Dipper had the information to know that this was a bad idea. Trust me. Because that is a wild story in Journal 3. You know, the funny thing about that, too, is that Dipper read through the journal and was like, what creature could I reasonably bring in that probably would work? You know, and and I would like I would love to see. I would actually. I almost wish the whole episode was just from his perspective. I would love to see this episode from just Dipper's perspective because I'll bet it's phenomenal. <laughs> That's a great point. I wish that there was more. We don't get that in Journal Three either. But uh, I, yeah, you're right. What, whatever he did to trap this thing. Yeah. Um, he- How did he do that on his own? You know, another thing that I thought actually was that. I would be willing to bet that this actually, this whole thing would have worked better if Mabel had been with Dipper and Grunkle was still the boss. Like, if Grunkle was the boss, they reworked the question idea. I mean, I mean, you probably just shouldn't cut Wendy any slack. You should just make her work, let's just be honest. But then with Dipper and Mabel, you know, they actually worked together to, to, to find the monster. I thought but that actually would have worked. Because I think the problem Dipper had was he didn't have Mabel to balance him out. Where I think Grunkle Stan is going wrong with his leadership is that he is not utilizing his employees' strengths to the best of their ability. Yes. Um, and I think that when employees feel like their strengths are being used, they're more likely to be fulfilled, and then they're going to do a better job for you. Now, there's one thing that is a fact about this that does make it consistent within its own show, which is part of your leadership style is based on your objective. To be fair... The style that they were going for was making the most money. By that logic, Grunkle Stan's leadership style is certainly superior, right? Well, yes, but I feel like it's complicated because his objective is to make the money on vacation and Mabel's is to do it at work. So there's different types of things happening because now's actually a good time to get into this. Grunkle Stan's strategy for making money on vacation Mm-hmm. is to go on cash wheel, just go up to the set, try to make himself a contestant, force his way in there, and win as much money as he possibly can. And in my opinion, 
maybe the best segments of the entire episode. Yeah, like, long story short, he makes it to, like, he wins consistently. He's just extremely lucky, or skilled, actually, I'd even say. Um, and he makes it all the way to the end, but then there's one final puzzle where he can bet all of his money and, you know, leave, like, with, I think it would be $600,000, because he had 300000 that he was walking away with, and he could have doubled it. Um, and the last word on, it was like, what is it called? Like wheel of fortune, the last wheel of fortune style word. What was it, Alec? That he, the final puzzle. They're like, what is a six letter word to politely ask for help? And Stan's like, I got this. Gimme two E's. (laughs) (laughs) And the, the funniest part to me is like, Oh, because you've done so well today, we're going to give you another chance, as if that would ever happen in a game show. And yeah. I, I don't even remember what and the And they even give him up. the first letter. <laughs> it starts with the letter P! Like, literally, they're like, we're here to hand you $600,000 right now. And I don't even remember what he said. He said, like, he said, like, pterodactyl or some word that doesn't even, like, have the right amount of letters in it. It was really funny. And... Now, to me, that's, like, a really stupid way, honestly, to try to hammer in that point of, like, it, like, Grunkle also, in his own way, learned that he should probably be nicer. He didn't, actually, at all. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, he's got a great line when he actually comes back. It's something along the lines of, Turns out, please can make you money. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know... Even though I sort of said that I don't think that the edit was enough on Mabel's side here, I kind of like that this moral is so subtle and that it's just a, a kind of a throwaway gag to force Grunkelstein. Like, he literally loses $600,000 because he can't say please, which, <laughs> that is all things funny. considered, that is that, pretty funny. <laughs> he loses a lot, a whole lot more as a result of his. Uh, shortcomings than Mabel does. I didn't think about that because he seems so nonchalant about it. Like, ah, I didn't win the money, whatever. Um, But you know what I really liked about Grunkle Stan to me is that he actually, like, owned up to the bet. He's like, part of the condition of the bet, I don't think we mentioned this, was that if, if, if Grunkle Stan loses, Mabel can be the boss of the Gravity Falls, of, of the uh, Mystery, Mystery Shack, Shack for the summer. Yep. So... And he, when he loses, he's like, because technically by the end of it, Mabel makes a single dollar and Grunkle comes back with nothing because he bet it all and couldn't say please, hardy har har. So he's like, well, I guess Mabel's the boss now. He actually was going to own up and, you know, like he was totally going to commit to his word. And I think that's really cool, actually. Well, in, in the end, he even does because there's a stipulation in the bet that Mabel... Yep would get to write a song that Grunkle Stan has to dance and sing if she won the bet, which ends up being the only part of the bet that ends up following through because while Mabel loses, or sorry, while Grunkle Stan loses, Mabel and all of the staff are like, no, please take the shack back. We do not want this responsibility of being a boss, um, which is also relatable. Yeah, that is very relatable. Someone else please do this. But the uh, Stan dance at the after credits is so funny. And apparently it's going around TikTok, so I've heard. Really? Oh, okay. That's good to know. I'm Stan and I was wrong. I'm singing the Stan wrong song. That's it. Oh my. Well, I know what's going on our social media when this episode airs. Look, you people can soundbite whatever you want. When we put ourselves out there like this... uh, 
you know, we have to deal with the ramifications. Clip it, post it, tag us. Great. (laughs) I would love it. Um, (laughs) So the whole, I I guess, you know what's interesting? We sort of got through the episode, which uh, is a lot earlier than we usually do when we recap more uh, straightforwardly. You know, this one doesn't have a lot of stuff in it. I don't think there's not as much to talk about because it is kind of a straightforward episode. We don't have any plot. We don't have any of the... The one thing I didn't love about this one is it feels like it came after a string of plotless episodes that I don't love. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, well, okay. I guess that's true. Yeah, like we could have used maybe something that points more to the plot of the show. I feel like we're getting there, though. Yeah, I, I'm sure that it's coming soon. I haven't looked at any of the upcoming episodes, but um, I know. I mean, that obviously has to be coming soon because so much plot is in this show. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it was... Uh, in terms of the whole scale of Gravity Falls shows, it's funny because there, there are things about it that I love, like every episode. I think there's something amazing in every episode. For this one, it's the gobble, the, the monster. It's so sick. And other things, too. Um, but, you know, I think this is a pretty standard, maybe even a below-average episode, just because it doesn't. it's not really that interesting for any reason. Sure. Fun to talk about, though. Yeah, they're always fun to talk about. That's because we're cool, though. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, me cool, I'll take it. Thanks for the... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never get it again, so here we are. Oh, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll say it. you're cool, Alec. I gave it to you a second time, just to prove you wrong. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. That's just because you're a philosophy major who wants to make sure that he's right at all times. <laughs> Anyone hear me not retort? I heard it. <laughs> I keep going over the notes to be like, oh, should we talk about more? I mean, I guess the one thing is that Dipper and Mabel have to work together to beat the Grem Goblin. And, mm-hmm. you know, I guess we mentioned that when Wendy and Seuss came back, they're ready to just walk away, but Mabel screams at them like Stan would, and they end up actually helping, and... Oh, yeah, I guess the one interesting thing is that they show the mirror to the Grem Goblin, and it sees its own dreams, and that's an amazing sequence. Yeah, because he just sees his dad... He sees himself having become his father, and he's just like, I've become my dad! And just, like, runs away. And I'm like... It actually, he flies away. He breaks out of the shack. He's like, and Dipper's like, well, that was minimal damage. And then he sprouts wings and like breaks the lamppost in a car and flies away. Um, is this an appropriate time to ask what your worst nightmare is? Give me worst, a fake like, answer. Like what my what my actual worst nightmare has been? Like a real one okay. that I've had? Let's say whatever the worst nightmare is that would not put a major damper on the entire podcast. Can we can we go by that logic? Yeah, I'll I'll do that. That's probably like my 36th worth nightmare, but I'll go with it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think. Um, no, nah, my nightmares are pretty chill. It's reality that's horrifying. Um, I think my, my scariest nightmare from a kid that was reoccurring was, uh, we actually talked about this recently in a Scooby-Doo recording. Uh, you had a dream. Oh, I'll let you tell your story, but I had a dream that E.T. had like a blanket over his face and he would like like walk around the corner. Of, uh, you remember our house in, in Hercules in, Cal- in California? Oh yeah, man. Way um, back in the day. You would have yeah, been like yeah. five or yeah. younger. This was this was when I was like, yeah, I was probably like four or three when I remember having these dreams. Um, but I would have this like eight this ET would have this like blanket over its face and it would like creepily like waltz over around this bed towards me. And I couldn't close my eyes. I'd close my eyes and I would see through my eyelids. And the only way that I could stop myself from seeing is if I put my hands over my eyes, but I could still see through the uh, cracks of my fingers. And and I always wanted to look like even like there, I remember one time because it was weird. The reoccurring dream would change every time. 
So like one time I remember putting my hands over my face and I, and whenever I like peeked out of my finger, like I, you know, like, like opened the slit a little bit to see if it was still there. It's face would just be there shaking and waiting for me to look at it to where it would scream at me as soon as I did. And that's uh, so scary, dude. I know a lot of people who were terrified of ET growing up and I was a little bit afraid myself to be honest. Oh yeah. No, I was terrified of ET dude. When I was a kid, like, like that is a scary looking alien creature for a kid, dude. That is, that is like super uncanny Valley. It's weird that it's such a popular movie for families. No offense yeah, to Steven Spielberg. I'm just, like, I, I'm not even saying it's a bad movie. movie. It's just, when you're that young, it is scary. And I feel bad because E.T. is such an awesome, like, chill character. But You know what? I've never liked E.T. And I've never been able to say that in a way that I felt comfortable. I've never said it before because everyone loves it. Like, it's so cute. It's Steve. I've never liked that movie. I'm not going to lie. I've never once enjoyed watching it. <laughs> um, I am actually in agreement, but... I Hell love, yeah! I love the ride at Universal Studios in Florida. There, okay. it's like a I'm dark sure ride great. that takes you through like the scenes and. Oh, that sounds awesome! It, it is it, because the world is neat and it's taking you to like ET's home planet and stuff, which I found very That's interesting. That's sick! That's you so sick! It. Oh, but I'd love it. Oh, and also I, I want to say that like Steven Spielberg has made like some of my favorite movies. Like Jurassic Park is actually in my top ten of all time. So I yeah. no 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 shade for Steven Spielberg. I just don't like that one movie E.T. for some reason. Yeah, ju- just to the rest of the creators. The writers, might just... the yeah. actors, um, yeah. screw you guys. Yeah, the puppeteer for E.T. especially. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, that, that guy did amazing work. I'm totally joking. I, I'm like, yeah, just, no, no, I even if I don't like the movie, I can appreciate the uh, aesthetic skill that went into making it. It is a good movie. It's just not my thing. Gosh, oh, as content creators ourselves, we will never just come down on people for their, like, works of art and creation. Yeah. Like, I, so That's many thousands of people went into the making of that movie, yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, that, that is not a movie. Like, there are some movies that I could actually poop on, like, every single aspect of, and that is definitely not one of them. <laughs> Solid. Can you hear me? We're running out of time. They found me again and cut my power. I've slipped into the elementary school to avoid them. If you can hear me... The next clue is just the number four, and the word, last. We're getting close. I can feel it. You must solve this. I'm counting on you. Uh, Lucas, who gets your mystery plaque points today? I gave two to Grunkle and one to the monster. (laughs) You did give one to the Grim Goblin. I couldn't get there today. I had to, mostly because no one else really stood out enough for me, A, to like, feel like warranting them a, a point okay um and like so i just love that character i thought it was a great design i was like dude i want to see this guy show up again he almost oh i can't say that uh he almost looks like a villain that we'd see later like in the last few episodes if you catch my drift uh i do catch your drift um and yeah i i love that they go for this and when we get to the journal three section we're gonna probably get it's not spoiler territory, but it's going to hint at some things that the people who have seen the show are probably going to catch on to. So I also gave my two points to Grunkle Stan because I thought he was hilarious. He was so um, funny. I didn't even explain know, it because I figured it was so obvious. He was clearly the star of the episode. Yeah, well, because part of the fun about him being on the show in the first place is, you know, I mentioned this before that they added him because he forced his way on the set. They said he was an attention hog with no regard for human decency. I think. He, that's right, he pretended to have a heart attack and said that he could only possibly be saved by being a contestant on Cash Wheel. Yeah. Um, 
he he cheated like the entire game, which we didn't even get into, but they didnn't care because it was making great television. Yeah. Um, That's how you do it. And when he landed on the cash shower space where money starts raining down, raining he started down, taking he just, his clothes off. He just got ready for a real shower. Like <laughs> I forgot about that. I wrote that down too. That was actually one of my favorite scenes of the episode. This that man so is a funny. menace, and we love him for it. So yes, two more points to Grunkle Stan, who I haven't kept track for points in a while, but he might possibly be overtaking Dipper and Mabel soon if he hasn't already. I would be willing um, to bet that Mabel and Grunkle are the top two. 100%. Well, speaking of which, Mabel actually got my backup point. Okay. Um, I figured. That, that That's the sensible secondary, I think. To me, it felt like this episode was about them. It was about Stan and Mabel and their contrasting ideals, and I sort of wanted to spend both my points on them. And I did feel like Mabel's heart was in the right place. And, uh, you know, as much as, you know, the show would have us believe that she really was 100% in the wrong here or at least 95% of the wrong, I I do feel like under the right circumstances, she could be a good leader. So I wanted to stick up for her a bit and uh, give her the point that I feel like she deserved for for trying her best. I think, yeah, I think she was good and and came to sensible conclusions in the episode. I got no shade for Mabel. I didn't think she was like, there are some times when I think Mabel's kind of like annoying or like, like really awful. I think Dipper and Mabel could both be pretty awful sometimes. Very within their character, but you know, like they're they're just can be bad people. And I didn't get that vibe from her on this one. I thought that it was still she was great. I liked her. No, and I have I to admit that I goblin. I, yeah, I know. I have to admit a little bit that I related to Mabel trying her hardest to be nice to everybody, and they just keep pushing her patience, and she doesn't have an in-between gear. So she doesn't know, like, because I, I, I feel the same way that I don't really have a middle ground. And I almost, almost will never, ever explode. But I don't know how to put my foot down. So I feel like the only way for me to consciously try to lay down the hammer is to, like, get mean. And people listen, but I don't like myself for it. Like, I don't well, have an in-between. You know, the thing is, though, if you, because I don't, I've never been one to, like, really like crack down on anybody like i told you all those leadership positions that i had like i have a very lackadaisical leadership style because i want people to think that i typically if i'm a leader i kind of want people to think that i'm not all that concerned with material reality because i don't want anyone to think that i'm going to be mad at them for small mistakes when you shouldn't be mad at somebody for small mistakes because everybody makes small mistakes right agreed there yeah but on the other hand you know, when you, when you save that voice for when you need it, people take it seriously. If you use it all the time, it doesn't mean anything. So why would anyone listen to you? It's like, he's he's angry all the time. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like if somebody, people who are stressed about stuff constantly, they don't actually make anybody motivated to do anything because you're like, dude, even if I do it right, you're going to be stressed. Why would I try any harder for you? You know? Oh, yeah. Well, listen, we're on the same page. I'm just saying that, like, there's no in-between for me. Like, if I... End I'm just up... saying that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah, I see your point. And maybe Except not. For um, emotionally. I know it sucks to, to have that moment where you do have to yell at somebody or, like... you know, Maybe not even yell, but the it feels like you're yelling at them because you have to give them a sternness that just feels gross. Be like, hey, man... Like, I'm really sorry, but I have to call you out in a way that I know is going to make you feel bad because you're really sucking right now. 
The way you just said that, though, is way better than I'd be able to land it. But I don't, well, in the heat of the moment, maybe not, you know. It's I mean, harder. it depends, man. I've, I I mean, I won't. There's some stories. The stories that I'm thinking of, I actually would rather not talk about. But, like, okay. just because, you know, I don't want to talk. I don't want to, you know, throw shade about any people that I've worked with in my past. But, like, there have definitely been some people that I've had to be like, yo, you cannot ever do anything like that again. Like, I will actually have to do something very serious if you do something like that again. And yeah. And the guy, and everybody knows me as a very, like, especially in this college where I was, everyone knew me as, like, this happy, nice, hippie guy. So when I sat down with him and I was, like, and I was very, I was not messing around. He was, like, okay, I'm never doing that again. I'm very sorry. Grace, Jeez, look at you. (laughs) Yeah, but, Um, I mean, I still felt like, you know, I was, like, shaking for, like, a day. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's funny, Lucas, we... As much as we, like, advertise ourselves as kind of being, like, polar opposites in a lot of ways, we're also very similar in a lot of ways, too. And I feel oh, like totally. there's some crossover like here, for sure. I don't like being mean to people, man. I'm just trying to have a good time and hang out. <laughs> All right, Lucas, let's talk about Journal 3, because there's a lot here to unpack. Um... There is no entry for Dipper. The entire entry is all about the Grem Goblin from when the author wrote it many years yeah. ago. And... The author references an assistant that he had named F Mm. and says that that assistant was with him when he found the Grem Goblin. And when he tried to sketch it, there was something called a hyperdrive in his assistant's backpack that just went off on its own, which caused the creature to go nuts. It grabbed him. It looked into his eyes. Uh, The author decided to throw water at it. And there's a great quote here. It says, a word of advice for future readers. When fighting a Grem Goblin, use water. Which is why Dipper did that in the episode. Yeah. But then you turn the page and it says, only as a last resort because water will make it much, much scarier. Uh, (laughs) Which it did. It made it grow and start breathing fire. It did. So there is an entire story of what happened in this instance. Like, it could have almost been its own episode. It felt like if there was, the Grem Goblin would have been the focal point of this episode that was written into the chapter. Oh, I actually oh. know the part of the uh, the journal that you're reading. Some people might not know this, but the journal actually does have a narrative written in it that goes yes. throughout. So... We don't want to spoil anything that might be developing from that narrative until later. So there might be some things I think specifically related to this chapter that, uh, you know, maybe we won't be able to get into, but we will at one point, we'll at least be able to explain why we weren't able to get into it. Even if we don't come back and retouch on every aspect of that in the chapters. Yeah, very much so. So what you just need to know is that they escaped the dangerous situation. The assistant was traumatized because the nightmare thing happened to the assistant. Oh, okay. Now we do know that they won't die from that. So I guess Dipper didn't kill those people. Okay, I accept it. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed, but I'll accept it. Um, and I guess the author's big takeaway here was that the hyperdrive, which went off in the backpack, worked, which I guess was kind of a big deal. Um, and, you know, it is hard because for me to, like, really unpack a lot of the stuff that's in here, I would kind of need to, like, share more context from earlier in the journal, and that's a little bit complicated. So I think it's better to explain these things that we know about the Grem Goblin. Something that I do think is worth reading about is that the assistant invented a memory gun as a way to try to destroy bad memories because of this traumatic instance 
uh, mm-hmm. that happened. And um, is that why it was created? It that was is the... why it was created. Was because he was so traumatized from the Grim Goblin situation that um, they, they wanted something to erase those memories. But the author was very worried about this getting into the wrong hands and was extremely critical of the assistant for having invented it. Can I ask you a question that you're definitely going to have to cut, but I just want to ask you for sure? Like, for yes. real? So, do you think, did they talk about that in the show? Did they bring that up, that, that he created it because he was traumatized by the Grem Goblin? Do you remember if that I was in the so. show? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. it was either. Wow, yeah, I wish I they had said that. that. That would have made so much more sense. Maybe maybe they even... just said it was like general scary stuff. Yeah, it could be. It, it's hard. I was almost tempted to read this whole thing, but I don't want to accidentally like read something that's going to end up being spoilery. Yeah, um, I'm I sure think... they, ha- they had to. I'm sure that in the show they explain him having created it for a reason probably related to a metaphysical trauma. That's possible. I think that we should reevaluate that when we get there. Yeah, we um, should. Sorry to go on that tangent. I just actually didn't remember, and I'm like, wait, I need to clarify this because I'm just curious. <laughs> sure. Do you, this section might be safe to keep. I don't think that we. Well, it's anything. it's kind of spoilers. I don't know if this does end up getting in it. Uh, I'll just say like this thing ends up being relevant later in the series that we're kind of talking about. So we're trying to remember how it's relevant in the future if we end up keeping yeah. any of this in. If it's if we if Alec deems in the edit that it's not too spoilery, and for what it's worth. I feel like we're not even sure. So I don't know if we can remember. Yeah, I, but, but I mean, saying, saying that it, it is a big part of the few, I guess that's not really a spoiler. That doesn't really give you any foreshadow or hint about anything, actually. No, it's just, it'll be fun for the listeners when they get to that episode. They'll be like, oh, yeah, you're right. a memory gun. And you don't know what context it is. So yeah, that's true. A memory gun. That doesn't even tell you what it does to really. Yeah, I mean, okay, okay, okay. bad memories. I'll Um, accept it. We didn't spoil anything. You guys don't know. I I just memory gun zapped you. You don't even remember. It's Men in Black. Uh, Let's talk about a Journal 4 entry. This is an easy one for me. We've got to induct the Gremlin. Oh. So, did you know that the Gremlin is like a real cryptid that many people have claimed to have seen? Yeah, I did. Um, I just don't remember where it's like, because like, gremlin is kind of a, a term that's been used for a couple different creatures, so I just don't remember its source, its origin. Okay, sure. So I'll read you the origin from the Cryptid Wiki, which I believe is right in this case, as much as I like joke around about, ah, yes, our number one legitimate source. Um, and that's that the origin of the gremlin comes from World War II, when pilots would report that their planes were having technical problems for no apparent reason that could be found. And ah. there were some pilots that claimed to have seen a creature on the wings or passengers and things like, or no, I guess it would have been pilots because it was World That's War II. That's where gremlins came from? Yeah, because there's a Twilight Zone episode that directly references these instances of people seeing these gremlins on the side. It's like Nightmare at 20,000 feet or something like that. Oh, uh, no, gre- no, 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 no. I know the one you're talking about. Is that what is that what a gremlin came from? Yeah, the Nightmare at 20,000 feet was like it was like it looked like an abominable snowman on the wing of the plane yes but that was coming from the gremlin stories that were happening around the time interesting i didn't know that are you sure that's the oldest origin i gotta check that because i think gremlins date further than that that's possible we can check it i mean it also says for the vague description gremlins are said to be small reptilian or house elf like creatures that sole purpose is to destroy technology and electronics such as planes and helicopters to even computers and toasters Holy um, shoot, dude, you're totally right. This 100% came from that era. It's aviator slang. 
Some of it did come from the Middle East and India, but it is aviator slang that came out in the 1920s. Yeah, it's really wild to think about. And the movie Gremlins that a lot of people know, yeah, this concept came from planes. And of course, they got readapted into being like nuisances in the house. And they're even making a cartoon for the Gremlins coming out on HBO Max. Um, so the lore has expanded a lot. Wow, the word gremlin is derived from the Old English word gremian, meaning to vex. Oh, okay, interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. Wow! I love this! This is a good oh, one! Me too. This is a really fun induction into the journal. Uh, I gotta ask, what do you rate it from a scale of 0 to 10? You know, this is a weird one. I, uh, usually things that don't have a lot of history, I feel like, you know, like kind of wishy-washy about. Because if they don't have a lot of history, it makes me think that like modern technology, I don't know, media just kind of made it up, you know, some modern craziness, which is yeah. a silly thing to think, I guess. But the thing about gremlins is, you know, we've all had that sensation of like a sock goes missing you know, or like little objects go missing for long periods of time and then maybe resurface in places that don't make sense. In Hilda, they call it um, those creatures that live in between dimensions. Is it the Nissas or something yeah, the like Nissas. that? the Nissas. Yeah, that's it. Um, and it kind of reminds me of that. And, you know, I've talked a lot on this podcast about creatures that may or may not exist within different dimensions that hop in and out of our reality. So I'm going to use that logic by this one and say, I'll, I'll give it a six or seven. The reason I, okay. I give it, I, I give it a higher score, but it did come from modern history. So even if there was some real phenomenon that started it, it might be, it might just be a poorly attributed name. So I'll say six or seven. Pick one, please. Make it easy on me. Oh, sorry, six. Great. I'm gonna give it a seven and balance it out so that you can have your six or seven. Cool. Um, there's something about, and I don't even use your logic, right? About um, you know the otherworldly stuff. I'm talking what I'm really seeing. And, of course, many of these are long shots to begin with. We recognize that. Uh, but there's something about this one that's some... Like, maybe it's a little bit of nostalgia, a little bit of fun, a little bit of the fact that World War II pilots seeing things on their planes toward the beginning of when aviation was even a thing. <laughs> it sounds like... You know, there was a lot that we didn't know about the sky, and obviously we know a lot more now, and these things, as far as I know, are probably not cited as much. There could even be an element where government technology could be involved in something like this but i'm not saying that like all these stories were fake i believe that people saw something um so you know i'm not saying it's a gremlin in the way that it's described or and when it comes to like stealing little things and stuff like that i think mom and dad always used to use the phrase borrowers which i think might even be from another work of fiction oh well there's the borrowers is a movie Oh, okay, it is. And I mean, I'm, I guess I'm sort of equating them together when they're not exactly the same thing. But one time when we were little, Dad had lost an album that he had had, and it was gone forever, and then he found two of them at some point. You know which is weird? Like, what? Was that in Colorado? I think so. I think. Yo, I'm not one time, I lost a Yu-Gi-Oh card in our basement for a long time, and I found two of them. Straight serious? up. Yeah, when they, when they came back. I thought I was crazy. <laughs> what okay well and i again i remember hearing that story and being like that is mystical and wild and you know i i am a man of science a little bit so i tend to like lean toward things having a logical explanation but i am a sucker for mystery and there's something about this that's just a i don't know I'm, I'm kind of equating all these things together and grouping it into this idea of gremlins which 
again, it maybe is some kind of a hybrid of a lot of things. See, that's the that's what that's my whole thing about stuff like this is when people talk about like angels and ghosts and and gremlins and stuff like that. Like they're just saying they saw something that was a being that existed that was not as material as the rest of the beings that they usually see. That's pretty much all they're saying because they don't have any more information to gather any further conclusions. You know, that's interesting. See, so, I'm also seeing that the gremlin reports were happening on German and American and Japanese planes. And like, that's so I mean, interesting. I gotta be honest, there was another thing that was introduced to pilots in that time period. And it was methamphetamine. Okay, and that's actually an extremely valid point. A lot of pilots were intentionally kept on meth for World War II. Or other drugs. A lot of uh, American pilots were kept on opiates. Yeah, I didn't know pilots specifically, but I know that opioids were a major thing in World War II. Something yeah. like in the like range of 20%. And I heard that from a social science podcast recently, so, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised it wasn't higher, to be honest. But I know that, um, like, I know that some countries were intentionally feeding their soldiers drugs of different kinds. Um, I'm pretty sure the U.S. was feeding their troops opiates. I'm pretty sure the Japanese were feeding their troops amphetamines because it was newly developed and sure. uh i think germany was into that too because hitler was jacked up on amphetamines for like the last like year of his life if not more shoot dude this is a really interesting one there's so much to talk about with it yeah i know right i the, you know what's funny is this when i went into this episode i was expecting that we wouldn't have i feel like this is one of the most like dynamic conversations we've weirdly had on our podcast so far yeah i kind of like that we jumped around a little um me too not saying we should do it every time but uh, i think for this episode it worked well i just like the um, range of topics we covered today true yeah we've gotten into a lot of different things diversity um, is the fruit of life everybody go do other things today uh variety is the spice of life is what i've heard but i bet that oh. yours is I like fruit. It's so funny. The it's fruit, basically you know? the same. Yeah, it's basically uh, the same. Some people don't like spices. Everyone likes fruit, though. Sure. <laughs> you know what I like? Ciphers. So uh, let's hear about the cipher for this week. I always say skip it. ahead 30 seconds. If Who cares? At this point, you've been listening to the podcast. You're not skipping ahead. I'm going to stop saying that. Once decoded, this week's cipher read, heavy is the head that wears the fez. Reference to William Shakespeare, Henry IV, Part Two, in which King Henry says the famous line, Uneasy lies the heart that wears the crown. Sorry, the head that wears the crown. My bad. Wow, that's cool. The heart like would that. have been more of a Henry VIII thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty good joke. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I kind of like that because it's sort of... It's, it's actually like a little bonus moral tied on to everything else that we've already discussed, which is... Yeah, it sort of sucks to be the leader sometimes. Not always a job that is for everybody, or for those that it is, you know, they probably don't have a great time always, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to be the leader, guys. If if I'm fully convinced that if you're, like, the head of any country, you've got to be a psychopath to some degree, right? <laughs> There's got to be some, like, degree of empathy that you've just completely decided doesn't need to exist for you. You just can't handle a position like that otherwise, you know? I mean, can you be individualistic and be in those spots, though? Because if anybody cares about self-care whatsoever, they would stay far, far away unless they just don't know any better. Or if they just have walled out their genuine care for society enough that they can maintain that position as if it's any other job. I think that's probably what happens. Boy, this could be another conversation. <laughs> A shame that we're at the end. <laughs> yeah. Bye, everyone!
Uh, I should say this podcast is brought to you by the Brazilian Dragon Podcast Network. Uh, it has rewatches, shows, and movies. And you can find us on Hester Brothers Cartoon Theater on YouTube. Check out our Discord. That is where the most active discussion is happening and very fun to be a part of. Thanks to Tessa Scarborough for the cover art, Mysterious Woman, Anna LaFleur. I'm still waiting on some five-star iTunes reviews, people, if you're still listening. So if you could do that, that'd be great. And uh, yeah, we'll see y'all next week. Happy sleuthing. Peace, everyone.